This is my city. These are my people. I've seen a lot of things in this town. Things I don't like. Bad people taking advantage of the weak. Good people down on their luck. Innocent people suffer. I talk to God a lot. Sometimes he talks back. So I ask him, when are you going to do something about all this? You know what his answer was? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. My name is Habakkuk. This is my story. Have you ever noticed how sometimes in life there are questions that are difficult to answer? Say yes. You know, like, why do they say that an alarm clock is going off when it's really coming on? You ever thought about that? That's a difficult question to answer. Or have you ever, how do you answer this? Why do people say, I slept like a baby last night? Yeah, the moms, the young moms are really laughing right now. I mean, the only person who would say that is somebody who's never had a baby in their home. Or, or how about this one? Here's a tough question to answer. If you throw a cat out of a moving car, is that considered kitty litter? Just <laughs> wondering. Difficult question to answer. Now, I'm not saying I've ever done that. Tried it with a truck one time, but no, no. It's been a while. I've laid off the cat jokes. It was, it was time for one. Well, speaking of difficult questions today, um, it reminds me of a book in the Bible that we're going to look at today. It's the book of Habakkuk. And yes, it is in your Bible. Um, so if you'll turn there this morning in uh, your Bibles or your, your smart devices, um, it's, if you're using a Bible with pages, I'm going to help you out. Start at the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, or Malachi, the Italian prophet, if you like to refer to it as that, and go four books back to the left, and you'll find the small little three-chapter book of Habakkuk. And this is going to be part of our greatest hit series this summer. We're doing some of the greatest messages uh, we've done, and you guys have requested some of these, and this was a very requested message. I did this about two years ago and had a lot of people say, hey, you need to do that one again. And so we're going to look at Habakkuk chapter 1 today, verse by verse. And Habakkuk has a difficult question. He actually has several difficult questions that he's asking of God that he wants some answers to. Maybe you've been there in your life. You've got some questions that you want God to answer. And if you could sum up the book of Habakkuk, there's really one driving question that Habakkuk has, and I'm going to want you to put it in your notes. It's basically this. Why doesn't God seem fair? That's the driving question of the book of Habakkuk. Why doesn't God seem fair? And I'm sure you've wondered that at times. We all have. And notice how Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1 begins. It says the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. He had a burden because he needed these questions answered. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not what? You'll not hear. Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. He's saying, I got these questions. There's some things I don't understand that doesn't seem fair. God, where are you? Some of you want to know that today. Why doesn't God seem fair? Where are you, God? People are asking questions like this today, like Habakkuk, like why do bad things happen to, help me out, good people? Or why do good things happen to bad people? I mean, why is it that the jerk at work gets promoted and the honest worker gets passed by? Uh, Why does the immoral person live to be 102 and the godly father dies at 42? 
Why, God? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. I don't, I don't get it. Why is it that sometimes godly parents' kids turn out messed up and immoral parents have kids that turn out fine? Why is it, God, that I try to handle my finances in a biblical, godly way, and then there's people that don't even follow you, never give anything to you, yet they seem to be blessed? God, why don't my prayers ever get answered? God, why am I or somebody I love struggling with these health challenges? God, it seems like you could do something, but you don't. You're not. Where are you, God? Why isn't this fair? We've all been there. Maybe some of you this morning, that's where you are right now in your life. And I want you to understand that Habakkuk was a prophet of God. He loved God. He was deeply committed to God and following God, but he had this dilemma that like so many people, Habakkuk crashed head on into a faith wall. Have you ever had that happen in your life? You ran right head on into a faith wall, something that just challenged and tested your faith and brought out all kinds of questions. You see, the things that Habakkuk saw didn't line up with what he believed in his heart about God. And it was a difficult season for his life. He knew God was all loving and God was all powerful and gracious and merciful, but yet there was things happening in his society, in his community, among God's people that didn't make sense. What he saw didn't line up with what he believed in his heart. And maybe some of you this morning, you can relate to Habakkuk. Let me give you a little bit of the context of the book of Habakkuk. Um, we call this, he's one of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. The reason we call him a minor prophet, he never made it to the majors. He never got the Nike endorsement, Gatorade, no. We call it a, a minor prophet because it's one of the smaller prophets, the books in the Bible. It's only three chapters. Some of the other major prophets, you know, they're 20, 30, 40 chapters. So it's just smaller. That's why it's minor. It's a minor prophet with a major message for all of us. I, I, he was a prophet. Habakkuk was a prophet. Some believe he was a temple priest that became a prophet. What was a prophet of God? A prophet of God was someone God would speak to them and say, I want you to be my mouthpiece to talk to my people. I have a message to share, and I'm going to share it through you, and that was Habakkuk. It was written about 600 B.C., about 600 years before Christ. It was in a time where Israel, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had become very corrupt and ungodly and were beginning to move away from following God and His Word. And so as a prophet, God has this message from God to His people. And basically His message was this, the people I love... Israel are becoming increasingly wicked and disobedient. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send one of their enemies who's even more wicked than them to attack them and punish them to get their attention. And Habakkuk's like, what? That doesn't seem right, God. I want you to do something, but that's not what I had in mind. Have you ever asked God to do something and then when he did it, you didn't like what he did? <laughs> that's where Habakkuk's at. He's like, I got these unanswered questions and God, you're answering and I don't like the answer. And I don't like the action. This doesn't seem fair. One of the things that's help us, helpful to us to understand the book of Habakkuk and his story is to understand his name. Names were very meaningful in the Bible. Habakkuk's name means this. It means to embrace or to wrestle, not wrestle. You only say that if you're from the South, you know. I grew up in Oklahoma. We saw, I was a wrestler in high school. And, and his name means to embrace or wrestle. And what we're going to watch today, and as if you read through all of these three chapters in, in Habakkuk's story, we're going to watch Habakkuk wrestle with God with some difficult questions, yet embrace God during difficult times. And it's a great example for all of us to follow. Now, I want to warn you guys, this is not what we call a sitcom sermon. 
You say, okay, what's a sitcom sermon, a sitcom message? Well, how many of you grew up uh, in the 70s and 80s watching the sitcoms during the week like I did? Some of you? Okay, I'm dating myself here a little bit. You don't remember some of the great sitcoms in the 70s and 80s? You, you remember Brady Bunch? I love, I heard just, I think, a couple weeks ago, Miss Beattie passed away, you know, from Brady Bunch. You know, Brady Bunch, I love, I've seen like every episode like a hundred times. I watch it every, every day when I come home from school. Here's a story of a lovely lady who is... Oh, you guys are killing me, man. You're just going to leave me hanging right here. Or how about this one? Tuesday night, sitcom, one of the best ever, Happy Days. I think it was like Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, 1, 2, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. You know, that's why I'm not on the worship team up here. They don't let me do that. Um, or or how, let's see how many of you will admit to this one in church. Remember the sitcom Three's Company? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we had one honest person. Yeah. Everybody else is like, yeah. You remember that one? Come on, knock on my door. <laughs> my parents would not let me watch Three's Company. I had to sneak it when I could. So not, not real good. But here's what happened in those sitcoms. You'd have this 30-minute sitcom, which was really only 20 minutes once you, you know, took out the commercials. And in, and in 20 minutes, there'd be this tension in the plot. There'd be some humor. And then at the end of it, every problem was solved, you know, in like 20 minutes. And a lot of messages are like that. A lot of sermons are like that. You know, a little humor, a little tension, nice little poem, illustration, and we all go home and everything turns out okay. But in real life, things don't always turn out okay, right? It's not always that simple. Can't be solved in one little simple message. And you'll not get that kind of message, a sitcom message in the book of Habakkuk. And in fact, it's just the opposite. But I think it resembles what is closer to the real life that we live in and we deal with from day to day. Where there's tension and there's drama and there's some unanswered questions. And sometimes they go unanswered for a long period of time. But yet when we know God, there's always hope. Amen? There's always hope. And look at what Habakkuk says in verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. He, he asks this question of God. He's, he's trying to understand what he doesn't understand. He says, why? We've asked that a lot, haven't we? Why do you show me iniquity, sin, and cause me to see trouble? Uh, this doesn't seem fair. What's going on, God? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arise because God's people were making a mess of their lives. And sin, when it's finished, is death and destruction. He's like, man, things are a mess, God. And why do I see all this, God? And when are you going to do something about this, God? And this doesn't seem right, God. And this doesn't seem fair, God. And what God gave Habakkuk was a burdensome message. He started out in verse 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, he had a burden that was weighing down his life. And this burdensome message was, God, I, I don't like this. I don't, I don't want to tell them this. This doesn't seem fair. It would sound like this today. Okay, God, I, I, don't, I don't get it, God. Why is it the guy, you know, that's the drunk driver that's had three DUIs, he keeps getting out, and now he's run over a four-year-old and killed him, and he's okay? What's up with that, God? God, God why is it that the, this girl can be promiscuous and jump from bed to bed and get pregnant over and over and have abortion over and over, and the godly couple can't seem to get pregnant? Well, why is it, God, that a man can walk into a theater in Colorado and kill innocent people? Come on, God. Where are you? When are you going to stop this? When are you going to do something about this? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And in verse 4, Habakkuk says, Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never seems to go forth. He says, you know, this just doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. 
And he's crying out. He's very open, very transparent, honest with God with his frustration and with his questions. And basically what Habakkuk is saying, as far as I can see, nothing is turning out right. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. And, and you basically, as you study these three small chapters of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's problems with God can be summed up in three ways. Let me give them to you in your notes and on the screen. And we've all felt this way at times in our life. Number one, God, you don't seem to care. God, you don't seem to care. Because if you cared, you'd do something. And I don't see you doing anything. Number two, God, you aren't doing much when you could. Now, there's a little respect in that because he's like, God, I know you're all powerful and you could do anything, but you're not doing anything. You're not doing much when you could. And then third thing, problem Habakkuk had with God is, God, what you are doing doesn't seem fair and he doesn't seem right. In other words, God, if I were in your shoes, I would do things differently. If it were me, God, just saying. Now, let's all be completely honest this morning and transparent like Habakkuk. Have you ever felt that way? If you have, raise your hand. Look around. We all have at times. We've felt the same way as Habakkuk. God, this doesn't seem fair. Where are you, God? I don't understand, God. If I were in your shoes, God, I would do this differently, God. Just saying. I mean, is it okay to feel that way as a Christian? If we feel that way, is God, are we going to leave church and we're all going to have flat tires and hemorrhoids by two this afternoon? Is God going to be like, how dare you? I mean, is it biblical to think that way? To question God's activity? Let me give you a thought. <clears throat> I, um, in the last two weeks, I've, I've done two memorial services here at Orchard Church. People that have passed away, went home to be with the Lord. And, and in both situations, the people were fairly young, and there were a lot of people asking the question, why? Which is a fair question to ask God, why? And I said this at both of the services. It's not wrong to ask God why. It's not wrong to ask questions of God as long as we don't question God. And there's a difference, amen? It's okay to ask God why. It's okay to ask God and take our tough questions to God. That's what Habakkuk is doing as long as we don't question God. It's okay to ask him tough questions. In fact, there are times in our life when asking God the difficult questions are a significant part of our faith journey that we're on to help us grow in our faith and get closer to God. We, we have biblical examples of people, godly people in the Bible asking tough questions of God. You read through the book of Psalms and you see the psalmist over and over crying out to God, God, what's going on? God, I don't understand. God, when are you gonna rescue me? God, when are you gonna help me? When are you gonna do something about this? We have a whole book in the Bible, the book of Job. If you've ever read Job's story, talk about a man who went through trials and tribulations and, and a lot of that book, he's asking God tough questions. God, why, why, why is this happening? Why is this going on? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem just. God, where are you? Godly people crying out to God with difficult questions. Lamentations, another book. People are crying out to God, lamenting with questions. And, and let me give you the ultimate example that I hope will encourage us to take our difficult and tough questions to God. Let me remind you that when God's only son, Jesus, was hanging on the cross, what did he say? He asked a question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, God? And too many people are afraid to bring their tough questions to God 
But yet this is an important part of our faith journey, taking honest questions to God. And here's where a lot of people are. A lot of people are at the same place Habakkuk was. What do you do when what you see with your eyes around you is different than what you believe in your heart about God? This is Habakkuk's challenge, and this is our challenge. And I want to take a moment today and illustrate something for you that I think will help us. And we're going to call this the dip, the dip. We're going to do it on this screen. Thank you, Vanna, for your help there. I appreciate that. You have this in your notes. We're going to call this the dip. Basically, here's what happens. At some point in our life, we begin our faith journey. We'll, we'll put it right here, okay, at the bottom of this hill. We, we hear the gospel. We hear that Jesus died for us on the cross, that he'll forgive our sins, give us eternal life. We can have a relationship with him. And so we make that faith decision. You know, we start right down here. And then... God has this way of when we first accept Christ, we get on this spiritual high and we get on this mountaintop. You remember when you first got saved? I mean, man, you were so close to God. I mean, you would come to church and every message spoke to you. I mean, it's as if, you know, the pastor was following you around with a video camera and, and he was preparing his messages for you and that's just God working in your life. And when the worship music is playing, you're singing and every song and every word and every lyric is just touching your heart and maybe you're even shedding some tears and I mean, you're just having this incredible time with God. You first accept Christ, man, you're praying and you're asking God to answer some prayer requests and, and God's answering your prayers right and left. I mean, you go into the mall, it's Christmas season, you're like, oh God, dear Jesus, please give me a good parking spot and there's one right up front, glory to God and high. And I mean, you're on this spiritual high. You're on top of this mountaintop. And you're up here on this mountaintop and and God allows you to be there when you first get saved for a while and everything seems to be growing great. And I mean, you're so on fire for Jesus that you could charge hell with a squirt gun. You're, you're, You're telling everybody about Jesus. You're talking about your faith. And that goes on for a little while. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Say yes. But then real life begins to happen. And you begin to take what we call the dip, the dip. You know, you're praying still, but God's not answering all your prayers. There's some stuff you're praying for that God hasn't answered, and you don't understand why God hasn't answered this. You go to the mall for a parking spot, and you're praying, you know, you did this before, and now you're in the very stinking back, nothing up front. You come to church, and you listen to worship music, and, you know, it's okay, but it's not really the songs that you like. It doesn't really do much for you that day. You know, the message, you're like, oh, that was okay, but that wasn't one of pastor's best, and, you know, that really wasn't meaningful to me, and I couldn't really apply that to my life, and somebody you care about starts having a health challenge, and you don't understand, God, why did you let that happen? Or maybe it happens to you. You start struggling with your finances or your kids or your marriage, and you, you're in this, this dip, this dip. And Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God calls this the crisis of belief. The crisis of belief. You come to this place when you're in the dip that you have to make a decision about your faith. What are you going to do? When what you see with your eyes around you, the difficulties and trials, don't line up with what you believed in your heart about God when you were back here on top of the mountain. Now, here's what most people do. They do one of two things. Some people, when they're down here in the dip, they will, they'll try to climb out of the dip and deny reality. And they'll try to just go back to the top. They'll, they'll act like their prayers are getting answered even when they're not. They'll act like they like the music when they don't. They'll act like the message spoke to them when it didn't. They, they deny reality. But we all know you can only deny reality so long, right? And that doesn't work. 
Because sometimes there's real trials and difficulties. And here's what other people do. They don't deny reality, but they just go, you know what, God? You're not answering my prayers. You don't seem fair. You don't seem like you're paying attention. I don't get this. You're not, you know, I, I don't understand what's going on. And so forget you, God. And they just kind of bail out on God, and they walk away from God. Sometimes for a very long time or sometimes forever. And they bail. One of two things. They go one of two directions. But I, I want to suggest to you this morning that there is another option. It's a different option than going, trying to deny reality and go back to the mountain. It's a different direction than, than walking away from God and not trusting God. It's where you come to the point where you decide, I'm going to take a different road. It's not the easy road. It's the more difficult road, but there's a great reward at the end. It's where you come to the place and you say, God, I am in the dip, I am in the valley, I am in a trial, this doesn't seem fair, I wonder where you're at, but God, I'm going to trust you even though I cannot trace you. And you begin to climb with God by taking him in the hand through faith, and God takes you up the other side. You are down in the valley, you are down in the dip, but he takes you to a place of trust and dependence and security where your faith is built greater than it was ever before to a place you never imagined possible. But the only way to get here is you first have to go through here. If that makes sense, say yes. You gotta go through the dip. And everyone, everyone that I know who is really close to God, who has a deep, intimate relationship and strong faith with God, went through the dip at some point in their life. They went through the dip. I, I like the way that James says it. In James chapter one, verse two, James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right here, into the dip, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience, which we all need. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing, and then you begin to climb out of the dip. As you wait on God, as you trust God when you cannot trace God, you see, God may loving allow, lovingly allow you and I to go through a season, a season of doubts, a season of questions, a season of fears and insecurities and, and things you don't understand because he'll do something in you he could do no other way than it'll allow you to go through the dip, to go through the valley. That's where Habakkuk was. That's where some of you have been. That's where some of you are, and God is using this message to prepare some of you for what might be right around the corner. Let me remind you what the 23rd Psalm says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the dip, the trial, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me. I can trust you when I cannot trace you. I'm not going to deny reality, God. I'm not going to run away from you, God. I'm going to hold on to you, God. And if you want to go to a place where your faith is stronger than it's ever been, sometimes you've got to go through the dip. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I know what I'm talking about because it's happened to me. It's happened to Shelly. It's happened to our family. Some of you know a little bit about our story, and I'll just share briefly again. Uh, when I, my, The first church I pastored was in Indiana. It was a small church in Indiana. And we were there for about eight years, and God was blessing, and people were getting saved and baptized and discipled, and we were really starting to be effective in our community and reaching people for Christ. But um, part of our church who had been there for 50 years wanted to go a different direction than we were starting to go. We were wanting to be relevant and reach young and new families, and we were having to make some changes, and that's always difficult, you know. We don't like change. And, 
And, you know, we were, we were going that way, and God was blessing, but then I didn't know it, but someone I thought that was one of my best friends on my staff, one of my other pastors, um, one of my associate pastors, he wanted to go a different direction with the church than I wanted to go, and he kind of had a group of people, and I had people following the leadership, my leadership, and it came to an impasse where basically... If we fought it out, we were going to split the church. And I said, I don't want to be a part of a church split. We didn't come here to split a church. I'm going to just step down. You guys go whatever direction you decide. But we're stepping down. And we felt like that's what God led us to do. We stepped down. We had no idea where we were going to go. We didn't have any other churches lined up. I didn't have any other jobs lined up. I didn't know where my next paycheck was going to come from. I had a young family at that time. Caleb and Caitlin were very, very young. I didn't know how we were going to pay the bills, but... We, we were in the dip. We were in the valley. We had a decision to make. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. There was times over the next two or three months that I questioned, does God even want me to continue to be a pastor? Do I even want to be in ministry if this is what it's all about? I mean, this is, maybe I should just walk away. I wasn't going to walk away from God, but I was ready to walk away from what God had called me to in ministry. I tried to deny reality. This isn't really happening, but it was really happening. And we were in this dip. And we had a decision to make. And I remember that, that God brought a man into our life in our church. He was starting a business. And he said, I, I know you know you're, you're without a job right now. Would you help me kind of start this business? I can't, you know, give you a job long term, but I can give you one for about, you know, eight to 12 weeks. And I said, hey, I'll take it. You know, whatever I can do, I need to pay the bills, you know, take care of my family. I, I didn't put any resumes out to churches. I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do. I just prayed and I waited on God and I waited on God. And just about a week before, my job was finishing with this guy, and I had no idea what I was going to do next. And I still didn't even know if I was going to continue in ministry. And I was in that dip, and I was just saying, God, what are we supposed to do? I got a call from a church in Pueblo, Colorado. And, and now you know it's a call of God if it's a call from Pueblo, Colorado. <laughs> and make a long story short, the pastor there had heard from a friend that I had stepped down from my church. He said, would you come to our church, help us with some ministry, uh, discipleship ministry and some things that I know that you guys are good at? And, um, you know, we said, well, it's interesting that you're calling us from Pueblo, Colorado, because we've always said that we felt like God was going to lead us to plant a church someday, and, and Colorado was always the top of our list. And here this guy calls from Colorado wasn't an accident or coincidence. And I said, so if we come there, I'd like to come there for a little while, but then plant a church. He said, perfect. We need more churches in Colorado. Come on out. And so we were there for two and a half years, and then they sent us up here to Denver, and we planted Orchard Church. And that never would have happened had we not gone through the dip and had we not held on to God and trusted God through that time of our life. In the last eight years, we've got, seen God do incredible, mind-blowing, amazing things to change people's lives. But we had to go through the dip to get where we are. And we had to trust God when we could not trace God. I didn't like it at the time, but I look back now, and that was one of the greatest things that ever happened in our life. We wouldn't be here, or your church wouldn't be here, had we not gone through that. And God reached out to us and gave us that, that opportunity. And hasn't it been an awesome to see what God has done the last eight years? in our church and continues to do. And can, can I just, God continues to remind us in supernatural ways that his hand is on this ministry. Can I, can I give you a couple of good newses this morning that God has done? There's some things we've been praying about as a church. A lot of you guys have been praying for and God has answered two of them. Would you guys like to hear about that? Okay, listen, one of them is this. We've been praying about Marcial and Jana 
Munoz, they came here uh, from Mexico praying about helping us start a Spanish-speaking ministry out of Orchard Church, starting Spanish services to provide for Spanish-speaking people in our community. And they came to our church, and they went back to Mexico to pray about it. And what we didn't know is they got two more offers by the time they got home from a couple of churches in Houston. One church was smaller than ours. Another church was quite a bit bigger than ours, about 5,000 people. So they went home and had to pray about three different churches, giving them the same opportunity. And, and Marcial called me uh, about a week ago, and he said, well, God has clearly answered our prayer. We have no doubt whatsoever. He's confirmed it in our spirit. He's confirmed it in his word. God wants us at Orchard Church in Denver, Colorado. And so they're planning to come. Can we praise God for that? So be praying for them as they make that transition. They got to get their paperwork and all together. The goal is that they'll be here by January and help us start a Spanish-speaking ministry right here out of Orchard Church. We're super excited about that. Let me give you one more. For a while now, we've been praying, and you know, people have asked us over the last eight years, do you think we'll ever have a building of our own? And it's never been our desire to build a building. It's been our desire to build a ministry. And a ministry is about people. And we said, if God ever wants us to have a building and a place of our own, God will let us know in his timing, in his way, and it will be something God-sized. It will be something supernatural that only God can get the credit for. We're not going to just make this happen. We've had our eye on the land right next door here to Prairie View High School. When you guys leave today, look at the land, 38 acres just west of the school, right here, we, you know, shares the parking lot there. And we've talked to the landowner over the last year, and it's been very difficult. And to make a long story short, I'll give you some of the, the greater details later. We have a family in our church that has a dad who's a Christian. He's been an investor, and he, he buys land and sells land. I met with him a week ago Friday, and his plan is to buy the land. He's already given his letter of intent to buy all 38 acres. He's going to sell off part of it to a developer. And when it's finished, Lord willing, he's going to donate enough land right next to the school for Orchard Church to build a building. Is that awesome or what? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Amazing what God can do. The, we we kind of did the numbers, and when he donates this land to us, it's going to be worth about $1.2 million. It's going to take about 9 to 12 months. It's got to be annexed in the city, be entitled. It's a process. So there's a lot of details that have to fall into place. But, you know, if it, God is in it, it's going to work out. But that's his heart. That's his commitment to us. Uh, I have witnesses that were there when he shared this. No, he's a great man. I, he would not say it if he didn't mean it. And so just pray that, that that would work out if that's what God wants. But it's an incredible um, step in the right direction and, and what God is going to do. We, we've kind of already done some preliminary figures. And by the land being donated to us free and clear, uh, we believe we have it in our budget to build the entire facility that we would want, auditorium building everything. It's going to be pretty amazing, pretty amazing. So just, just praise God for that and keep that in, in, in your prayers. But... We had to go through a dip to see what God's doing now. And it doesn't mean there won't be other dips. And some of you, that's where you are. You're in that dip. You're, you're in that crisis of belief right now in your life. You, you're in chapter one of Habakkuk. You don't know what to believe. What you see doesn't line up with what you believe. And too many people walk away from God in chapter one. Chapter one of Habakkuk is about wondering. Wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? And it's an important part of our faith journey. And this is where Habakkuk is in chapter 1. What are you doing? Where are you? Now, he had all these questions for God, and God is going to respond to Habakkuk. But it's not what he wanted to hear. Watch how God responds to his questions 
of all this injustice and unfairness and God's people being wicked. God says, okay, I am going to do something, but let me, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1. Look among the nations and watch, God says. Be utterly astounded. In other words, I'm about to blow your mind with what I'm going to do. For I'll work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. God ever done something that you didn't even believe? He says in verse 6, for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans is another way of saying the Babylonians. Very wicked people, enemies of God. Anytime you see Chaldeans in the Bible, you just should say, boo. Let's try it. Boo. Yeah, not, not moo, boo, okay? For indeed I'm rising, raising up the Chaldeans. There you go. Three of you got it. Excellent. A bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. In other words, they steal things that don't belong to them. They take land and possessions. They are terrible. They're dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Evidently, they drive dodges. Their <laughs> cavalry, sorry, comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They got them an air force. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They take prisoners. They scoff at kings. They have no respect for those in authority. And princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earth and mounds and they seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He sins. He commits offense. Ascribing this power, this conquering power to his what? To his God. He says, I got these wicked people. They worship these false gods. They're the enemies of Israel. And because my people are messed up and wicked, I'm going to send the Babylonians to conquer them. God's like, my people are bad, but the Chaldeans are worse, and I know you hate them, and I'm going to send them to punish you. And Habakkuk is like, what you talking about, Willis? Sorry, that's another sitcom some of you know. He's like, that, that's not fair. That doesn't make sense. God, I wanted you to do something, but not that. So what do you do when you're in the middle of Habakkuk chapter 1, and you're not sure what to believe? You want to, but you have so many questions. And like Habakkuk, at times, we wrestle with this question. Can you still be a deeply committed believer in Jesus Christ? With a lot of questions? Can you? We wrestle with that. And, and this next statement, you have it in your notes, we'll put it on the screen. I hope will be freeing to many of you today, especially if you're in the dip. Here it is. A deeply committed believer can express simultaneous questions and faith. You can. Habakkuk did, and you and I can. A deeply committed believer can express simultaneous questions and yet great faith. In other words, you can believe God and still be a little unsure at times with some unanswered questions. I hope that's freeing to some of you. One example we have of this is in Mark chapter 9. Remember there was a father who had a son who was possessed by an evil spirit. And I'm sure that father had prayed over and over and over, God, why is this happening to my son? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. Where are you, God? God, answer my prayer. He didn't answer. He didn't answer. One day Jesus shows up and Jesus is like, I can cast out this demon from your son if you believe. You just got to believe I can. And you remember what the father said? He says, oh, Jesus, I believe but help my unbelief. 
I know who you are, Jesus. I know you could do this, but I still have a little bit of question and a little bit of doubt. And Jesus basically said to the Father, you're here. You're in this crisis of belief. You're in this dip, but I'm going to help you get up here. I'm going to do something so amazing, so supernatural, miraculous, you'll never doubt me again. I'm about to build your faith. And he cast out the demon from his son. But see, you and I won't get up here unless we go through here, unless we go through the dip. You got to go through the dip. And this is exactly what Habakkuk and God are, are wrestling with. And many of you have wrestled with, or you are wrestling with right now, or you will wrestle with in the future, the dip. Now watch as Habakkuk himself has simultaneous questions, but yet great faith, like a lot of us. Watch this in verse 12. He asks these questions of God. God answers. He doesn't really like it, and now he's going to respond to God. Look at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? He's like, you're an eternal God. He immediately recognizes who God is and, he, and who, what he believes in his heart about God. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. That sounds pretty personal, doesn't it? That sounds like someone with great personal faith in God. We shall not die, he says. He goes, listen, God, I have such faith in you and such hope. I don't know how this is going to all pan out, but I'm going to trust you even though I cannot trace you. I'm going to embrace you, but I still am wrestling with tough questions. Oh, Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. Oh, rock, he's recognizing who God is. He's showing his faith. You have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Now look, he goes back to a question. Why, God? I, I know who you are, God. I know what you can do, God. You're my rock. You're my Lord. You're the Holy One. But why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? You know what he's asking here? God, why do bad things happen to good people? Why, verse 14, do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and they gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. He's like they're, they're proud, they're boastful. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet, to their false gods. Because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? God, aren't you going to do something about it? God, I have faith, but I still have questions. That's where a lot of us are at times in our Christian life, when we're in the dip. God, I believe. I believe you. I believe who you are, but it's difficult. It's challenging. It doesn't all make sense. I still have some questions. And some of you right now, you're in the dip. You're in the crisis of belief. You're in chapter one. You know what happens in chapter one of Habakkuk? Wondering. Wondering. God what are you going to do? God, I don't get it. God, I don't understand. But you go to chapter 2 of Habakkuk, and you know what you find out? It doesn't get any easier in chapter 2. Because you know what he has to do in chapter 2? What we love to do, waiting. He has to wait on God. He has to be patient. He has to let patience have its perfect work. But if you hang on long enough to chapter 3 of Habakkuk, and you trust God when you cannot trace God, and you embrace God, no matter what you see happening around you, you'll see Habakkuk worshiping, worshiping God, praising God, seeing God work out his plan. Now, we're not going to do chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're doing greatest hits. We're not doing greatest series. So if you weren't here, it's still on our website, orchardchurch.tv. You go there. Um, it was about two years ago in 2002 we did the series. So if you want to read on chapter 2, chapter 3, watch those messages, I encourage you to do that. But today, what do you do when you're in chapter one? 
and you're wondering and you're waiting, you're in the dip, you're in the crisis of belief, and you're saying, God, where are you? This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. What do you do when you're in chapter one of Habakkuk? You do what Habakkuk did. You embrace God. You embrace him. His name means embrace. And you wrestle with God with your tough questions. He's big enough. He can handle it. Amen? But you hang on. No matter what is going on around you, you embrace God, you hold on to God, and you never let go of him. Listen, I can't promise you that life will necessarily get better. It may be a while. But I can promise you that if you embrace him, he will embrace you. And he will never let go. What did Jesus say? I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You embrace me. You grab my hand. We'll walk out of this dip together. And I'll take your faith and your dependence and your trust in me to a higher height than it's ever been before. Habakkuk. No little nice story, little poem to sum it up. Because sometimes when you're in chapter one of Habakkuk, when you're in the dip and you're in the crisis of belief, all you can do is embrace him. But that's the best thing to do. Amen? Embrace him. Never let go of him because he will never let go of us. Never. Will you bow your heads with me? An attitude of prayer. Are you in chapter one of Habakkuk? I believe some of you probably are today. Where you have more questions than answers. Things don't seem to make sense right now. They don't seem to be fair. You're at a crisis, a belief. Some of you have crashed head on into a faith wall in your life right now. Can I pray for you that God will take you through the dip to a place of worship, faith, and dependence as you embrace him and he embraces you? If that's you today and you needed this message, can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? I feel like right now I'm in the dip. Lift them up high so I can see them all across this auditorium. God bless you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands in every section. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray right now for all those who are in the dip, who are at a crisis of belief, who have more questions than answers, where there's things in their life that may not seem fair, where, you, where they're wondering, where are you, God, like Habakkuk? And I pray, God, that they would do the Habakkuk. They would embrace you. They would hang on to you. They wouldn't deny reality. They wouldn't walk away from you, but they would embrace you knowing you'll never leave them, you'll never forsake them, and you'll bring them through the dip, and you'll grow their faith as they put their faith and trust in you, and they wait on you, and they end up going from wondering and waiting to worshiping. Worshiping. And that the dip that is so difficult right now, one day they might look back and say, that was one of the greatest times of my life because I got closer to God I trusted him more, and my faith grew more than any other time in my life. May that be their testimony and their story as they go through the dip. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I understand that some people, the reason they don't put their faith and trust in God is because they say, I I can't trust a God who doesn't seem fair. And that's understandable to feel that way. But can I, can I say something to you with your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute? God isn't fair, but he's completely just, and there's a difference. You see, because if God was fair, 
he would allow us to die in our sins separated from him for all eternity but thank God he's not fair he's just and he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we could put our faith and trust in him and have our sins forgiven and have eternal life and if you've never made that decision that's where faith begins your faith journey begins at the cross receiving what he did for you and if you've never made that decision I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now we had several in the first service that made that decision I want to lead you in a prayer of faith a prayer that hundreds and thousands have prayed in the last eight years here at Orchard Church and it's not a magic prayer it's not magic words but if you put faith behind it and you believe it and you pray it from your heart to God's Jesus will come into your life and be your Lord and Savior you can be forgiven today you can have eternal life today your faith journey can begin today so if you're ready to do that let me pray this prayer and you pray it from your heart to God's goes like this Jesus I believe in you I believe you died on the cross for me you gave your body and you shed your blood for my sins Jesus forgive me of my sins come into my life be my Lord and my Savior I accept you by faith today thank you Jesus for saving me thank you Jesus for forgiving me thank you Jesus for loving me thank you thank you with heads bowed and eyes closed nobody looking around for just a moment I don't want to embarrass anybody but if you just prayed that prayer of faith to God for the first time and you meant it I, I personally want to pray for you as you begin your new journey with Jesus would you just slip up your hand as a testimony real quick just so I can see it just put it up and put it down real quick so I can see it thank you God bless you God bless you yes God bless you thank you anyone else just slip it up so I can see it and put it down I prayed that prayer of faith and I meant it today I invited Jesus into my life anyone else let me pray for you Father we rejoice and we celebrate in those who are putting their faith and trust in you today for the first time Lord we pray that they would grow in their faith journey with you as they embrace you as you help walk through the dip with them when they go through difficulties in their life. Lord, we pray that we would meet them as a church where you meet them with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. We take them by the spiritual hand, help disciple them to maturity in their walk and with you. Thank you, Jesus, for all those making that decision. And thank you, God, that you never leave us or forsake us. You never let go. May we always embrace you, bringing our tough and difficult questions to you, growing us in our faith trust in you, knowing that we can trust you even when we cannot trace you and that you will help us through the dip and we pray all this in Jesus name Amen, Amen, can we celebrate decisions for Jesus this morning, Amen if um, if you made a decision for Christ to accept him as Lord and Savior, please let us know about that you can check the box on your connection card there in your newsletter, uh, drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by, we want to just continue to pray for you and your faith journey i also send you a little book that will help you in your walk with Christ, if you're a first time guest today, thanks so much for being a, a part of our, our service, we hope we blessed you as much as you blessed us by being here, hope you filled out your connection card you can drop that in the offering bucket as well so we can uh, just thank you for being our, our guest today, well we're going to stand right now we're going to close in a song of worship and worship through our giving and thanking God that he never lets go. Amen, church? So let's stand as we close in worship today.